Hi. Welcome to Home from Home, a journey into elderly care. My name is Nir. Over the pandemic, I've been having conversations with people whose parents have gone into residential care. I wanted to have these conversations because I too have been experiencing what it's like to watch my grandparents go from being independent and adamant that they would never go into a care home to being in supported living. I wanted to find out more about the people in the care system and to see how other people with elderly relatives feel about it because so much of that world happens behind closed doors. I needed to know more. What you're about to hear is the second of a series of three podcasts made from those conversations. We've chosen three very different stories, but you can imagine them like acts of the same play or songs that are part of the same service. If you like, you can scroll through our zine, an illustrated booklet inspired by some of the things that people have said. It isn't a program, but it is something that you can look at digitally, or if you want, you could print it out so you can hold it in your hands whilst you listen to the people's stories. One of the people I spoke to was Lizzie, a psychotherapist. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. I met her on a video call during lockdown. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. No problem. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm, I, it's, it's Lizzie revealed the painful process that started as her mother began to need extra care. And the nature of that care had to be decided by the whole family. You know, I never imagined that I would go through what I went through. For many people, it's almost unbelievable that if a daughter wants to look after her mother and her mother wants to be looked after by a daughter, where's the problem? Here, from Ad Infinitum, is episode two, Splits and Glitches. I'm the youngest of three, two sisters and myself. And I have always um, had a really close relationship with my mother. So as she started to, in her late 80s, sort of deteriorate and have more care needs, the whole question around where did she live, what did she do, became more and more um, in sharp focus. So we discussed it at length and I had this because I've got a nursing background I had this um, idea that I could myself and um, like a social worker and a carer and so on you know we could provide care look after her in my own home and you know help her to have maximum quality of life with people that she's close to obviously it's a big thing to leave her own home but but she also was very keen on the idea and I discussed it with my sister's One was absolutely against me looking after her, and the other one was okay about it. I could see that there was very big differences in ways of facing into her needs between the three of us, and I was very much of the 
position that I wanted her to maximize her quality of life and do whatever she wanted to do and help her to fulfill her wishes in the last phase of her life. So I was already seeing that there was tense family dynamics going on that were going to be potentially really problematic. And this was in a context of a family that had always been very close and together and, you know, relatively united. Like we all spent Christmas together, you know, gave birthday presents, saw each other. There was no obvious sign of dysfunctional family. This is something that happens a great deal with families, you know, when the matriarch or the patriarch starts to deteriorate, underlying splits that are in the siblings can get played out in the most ugliest of ways, which is what happened um, in my family's case and what has deeply, obviously deeply disturbed me. What had happened a few years before is that my mother wanted to go to India and she wanted to go and we had a day's meeting about it and I said that I would accompany her. I said I'd look after her the whole time and I had four people, sisters, husbands, totally against me and so she was denied the chance to go to India. It was on, always on her bucket list and why not and so what if she dies en route? So what if she, she dies when she, while she's in India? So what? You know, she's living. She's not in some waiting room waiting to die. She's living. And this was the fundamental difference between our philosophies, that they were sort of battening down, wait to die, keep safe, but don't live. I was, live. And if you die on the way, well, you're going to die anyway, so you may as well die while you're enjoying yourself. In December 2014, out of the blue, she had a series of strokes. The day that my sister had decided that she had to go for respite in a care home. Interestingly, they were still planning to take her despite she had all these classic stroke symptoms. I was told that she had a funny turn and they kept her in her own home. My sister didn't want her to go to the main hospital because she thought it would be overwhelming for her. She had more strokes. An on-call doctor came and we took her to the main hospital and she spent a month on a neurological unit. This was the start of very serious family dynamics. I think what happens in a situation of extreme stress where there's a complexity of needs because you've got the needs of the elderly person, you've got the, the children of the elderly person who are in shock and worried and upset about their parent. Then you've got a conflict with one's own needs because in my sister's case, she was exhausted looking after her. She was saturated. She wanted her to be taken care of elsewhere. She felt at the end of her tether. Mm-hmm. So you've got this complex play play out of needs about whose needs are we actually meeting here so she was there for a month what happened is that I got a lot of awful emails to me um, 
from my sisters saying this was the wrong decision and so on. It was not appropriate that she would be overwhelmed in this hospital. But I was really clear that this was absolutely the right decision. So I was, this was just before Christmas and I was then excluded from the Christmas, family Christmas. So then um, there was a big question around, you know, where does my mother go? after she's discharged and they had decided my sisters had dis and their husbands had decided to get her into this local home and they asked me to go and look at it and I went to look at it and I was you know I was appalled by it it was the institutionalization it was the um like my mother was always somebody who liked aesthetics and she lived in the countryside and she where she lived was you know had beautiful views of fields and sheep and cows and it was just this horrible modern soulless place and everybody all the old people just looked deeply unhappy um depressed i just knew she'd hate it and I knew that she didn't want to do it. She didn't want to go into a nursing home or a care home at that point. I sort of discussed it with the physiotherapists saying that she, this was not in our agreement with my sisters and I because we'd already discussed it before she had her strokes, what was going to happen. Because she said, the physio said, you know, well, the family want her to go to a home. And I remember having to say, I am also family I am one of her daughters. And I remember that there was such a pressure from the physios and doctors that, you know, they did not want to have to get involved in a, a family conflict. But I remember really having to kind of reinforce that, that hang on, you know, that we need a, we need a meeting to discuss this. Um, had I known then what I know now, I would have gone to the discharge department and said that, first of all, we need to, my mum needs to have a capacity, mental capacity assessment. Because if in the mental capacity assessment, if the person is deemed to have mental capacity, they have every right to decide what they want to do, including a, a decision that other professionals may think is not wise, but they have the right to do that rather than a decision without any consultation at all, zero consultation with her. But because um, the hospitals are so pushed for beds, all they want to do, nobody looks at the psychological impact of what does it mean to take an old person who's already traumatized, they're already displaced, they've left their home, they're already mentally not functioning because they've had strokes and they're already in, in a stress, stressful ward and they're already disorientated and endless staff, you know. So they're already in a state of fear and all they want to do is go home to a safe and secure place. That's all they want. But all the hospital wants is, uh, you know, to get the next person on the conveyor belt out the way because they've got all these emergency patients in a state of crisis that have got to take the bed. So the subtleties of best interests, mental capacity, what does the person want? What are the implications of, of you know, sending an old person to a nursing home or a care home? 
What are the social and psychological and spiritual implications of doing that? None of that is addressed because it's literally one in, one out. We had a meeting on the 27th of December and it was very clear that everything was a fait accompli. Everything had been decided. Any previous discussions about what her wishes were or what we'd been working towards her coming to London and her being looked after by a, a two people and myself who she really loves and who love her and who she feels safe with, you know, none, all of that was whitewashed, gone. Why were they so against it? I mean, what was the You know issue? what, Nia, I have no idea to no. this day why. Um, I suspect that, um, and again, this is an ongoing theme, which I think is very much part of family crises and elderly crises, is the unresolved family, unresolved sibling dynamics. And in this case, I think it was sibling rivalry. Whether it's right, whether it's true or not, I don't know. Probably it's true. But, you know, again, what happens are these really deep unconscious processes that get played out in family units and um, and then because the the matriarch or patriarch is collapsing there is no rudder or no anchor to the family structure anymore and so the children the grown-up children then start unconsciously because their matriarch patriarch is under threat significant um, threat of death there's a regression and so the rivalry that probably was at play at somehow or other which happens with many kids then gets played out and um, and if there are splits and glitches in that structure and that mechanism unconsciously then it it can if the siblings aren't very mature it can play out in the most in, in my case in the most ugliest of ways then the most awful thing happened which is that that um, I was visiting my mum every day in the hospital spending every afternoon with her and um, and one day I went into the hospital and and when I woke when she woke up the she wouldn't look at me she wouldn't talk to me it was like this wall had come between us and um, you know we were very close and and her whole demeanor had changed she looked depressed she had previously been rehabilitating very well she had been having banter and jokes with the physio with rehab you know and so on and at that time she only needed one carer to help her turn and see to her basic needs and then she told me that that she was um, had been told that she was going to go to this care home. So my poor mother was, I can't bear the pain of it, you know, the, the, the bewilderment she must have felt. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't look at me because she was clearly very angry too and felt very betrayed by all three of us. And, and from that moment on, she declined. All of the rehabilitation progress went. It was like she'd been given a death sentence. And she had. 
basically she had. She was being told, society's giving up on you. Don't think about having your own life anymore. You're going to basically be in a waiting room until you die. So I, I tried to stop her going to the care home and um, the chief nurse agreed with me and the, the chief nurse couldn't exercise his sway in this. It was all sewn up. We delayed it by 24 hours and it was non-negotiable. So she went to this care home and prior to this, she'd been, you know, trying to mobilize on a Zimmer frame, doing well before she was told she was going there. She got to the care home and um, for the next two weeks, she stopped walking completely. And I felt like it was a protest on her part. She couldn't protest verbally, but she protested by immobilizing herself. And, you know, in a way, it was a very powerful protest. Like, I'm not, I'm not moving. I'm, I don't want this. I don't want to be here. It was very painful, very, very painful to see how unhappy she was. And... Um, very, very painful. And I would spend three days in London working intensely with seeing patients and then four looking after her and being, because I felt like, well, I was totally against this, but this was the situation we were in and I wanted to maximize my full support for her and help to bring a homely presence to this home. And I'd said to my sisters, look, I think we shouldn't rush any decision. I think she should come home to her actual home and we should look at all options available to her, including a nursing home or a care home, but all options and don't make a rash decision. And I offered to, to see all my patients on Skype at the time and stay with her for that whole month so that she can settle, she can recover, she can be at home in a familiar, safe environment and we can take our time to decide what's best for her. My mother never went back to her own home. She never got to say goodbye to her home that she loved, that she was so happy in. She never went back there. So she was frightened. She told me she hated it. I've got it on a piece of paper. When I would leave on a Sunday evening, she said, in her in her little handwriting, I will be brave. Because she's bewildered and hated going downstairs, didn't like being part of, you know, why should an old person, just because they're of a certain age, why, why are they all going to suddenly be all friends with each other? She wanted to stay in her room, which had her familiar furniture in, not this pseudo artificially contrived social situation that just because you know you've all got disabilities of one form or another you're going to be best buddies the carers are on a terribly difficult time frame impossible amount of care to deliver in a certain period of time and they have to you know look after four to six people and get them all up and dressed and so on so i was just wanting to ask like whether you feel that it is wrong putting an elderly person in a care home as simple as that, or do you see nuances within it? Um, 
I, my personal opinion, I think it's absolutely unacceptable. And I think that children have a responsibility, just like we look after children or dogs or whatever else, we have a responsibility to look after our elders. And at the same time, I understand that a lot of people do not have the capacity to care for an elderly person or to, or if they've had a complicated relationship with their parent or they hate their parent or the parents abuse them or whatever else, um, then I can understand that it makes caretaking very, very problematic. But what galls me in my situation is that I have a nursing background in general nursing and mental health. I'm also a psychotherapist, so I understand about psychological processes, you know. So I know I have the capacity and the desire to look after my own mother and give back to her what she gave to me. And it didn't even have to be, it didn't have to be me. It could be one of my sisters. It wasn't like I had to do it and no one else. No, I don't care which one of us looks after. Just let her be in a home situation, not an institution. So... I personally am totally against institutionalized care. I think it's dehumanizing. I think it promotes dependency. I don't think it enhances people's well-being. They get fed a very, very bad diet. And how you look after somebody and facilitate a meaningful end-of-life phase is so important. And, you know... I will campaign till my dying day that the system we have at the moment is not acceptable and elderly people need to be integrated into our society, not stuck out on a limb, invisible for the majority of people that they don't see them. And I think that we are phobic as a society and as individuals, we're phobic around death and dying. We can't handle it. And so we stick our elderly away unconsciously because it's too threatening to see our own mortality in them. And then we have a situation where people will stay away from visiting their parents or they do a tokenistic once a month or once every two months visit because it's so deeply confronting to see fragility and deterioration and dementia and Alzheimer's and so on. So they give it to the institutionalized parent and basically abdicate responsibility. So. I think that the factors are extremely complex and I, I think it's too easy for us to do this. And I think it's a tragedy, absolute tragedy. From Home, Journeys into Elderly Care was produced and composed with an original a cappella score by Jennifer Bell. With me, Nir Paldi, and generous contributors, Kathy, Paul and Lizzie, and was an ad infinitum production, with support from Arts Council England.